0: Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 218 of the Quickie Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and uh, thanks for stopping by and spending some time here. Um, Before I introduce today's guest, I wanted to let you know that if you are interested in print design, learning how to design for print, learning how to get started in print design and guide your customer through paper selection and ink specs and finishing specs and all that kind of stuff, head over to printdesignacademy.com. I got a free video series there just to get you started with understanding what's involved with crafting an amazing tactile experience in print for you or for your customers. printdesignacademy.com. Start learning print. So today on the podcast, my guest is a fellow Canadian Based out of Vancouver, British Columbia here, Jamie Collins, partner and creative director at Design Analog. During this episode, we talk about how an art teacher was the one who told him, hey, you could could do design as a career, and how excited he was about that. But in the first year of design school, it just did not click for him. Started looking elsewhere, and I'll let him finish that story. We also talk about Burton Snowboards and their unhinged creativity and how it was influential to him early on in his journey. We also talk about 2008 and why that was the toughest time in his career so far. The old Backburner website project we also get into. Everybody's got one of those. I swear everyone has to have one of those. The old Backburner project. We also then get into the self-promotional piece that they created, their team at Design Analog, and why they are so proud of it, what it did for them, and why it feels so good. Ladies and gentlemen, this was a fun episode. We had about 10 minutes of banter, witty Canadian banter before we got going on this episode, and then we dove in, and I know you're going to love it. So let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest, Jamie Collins. Here we go.
1: Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field. And we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie?
0: Jamie, welcome to the Quickie Podcast. How are you?
1: Very well, thanks. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. Thanks so much for being on the show today.
1: Thank you. I'm stoked to be here.
0: Well, one of the most important questions comes first. Are you ready for a quickie?
1: hundred percent. Let's do this.
0: Awesome. Well, let's get into the tough stuff. Briefly tell the listeners about yourself.
1: Sure. My name is Jamie Collins. Um, I am partner and creative director at uh, a Vancouver uh, boutique design and branding agency called uh, Analog Design. Our website and our social handles are Design Analog. Um, The the gentleman who owns AnalogDesign.com wanted way too much money for it, so... uh, (laughs) We're going to roll with that for now until we can make them a better offer. But, um, but yeah, so we've been um, in business for about five years and uh, uh, focused mostly on um, uh, four different verticals of design, one of them being residential, one of them being product, uh, one of them being lifestyle, and the other would be corporate. But um, but backing up a little bit and sort of, I guess, digging into... Um, I guess my, my childhood, um, I'm actually from the other side of Canada, so obviously living in Vancouver, very close to where you are, and um, grew up in a small town in Labrador, and ironically it was called Labrador City, but it's actually a small town of about, of about 8,000 people, mm-hmm. um, so grew up there, and uh, was pretty deeply entrenched in the Sort of snowboard, skateboard cultures at the time, yep. um, mountain biking, fishing.
0: Is there like a big outdoor scene in Labrador?
1: Absolutely, yeah. It's it's a quite an isolated town. Um, it's actually a mining town, and okay. it, it border it actually borders uh, very closely to Quebec, so it's quite inland. Um, but an amazing place to grow up, um, in the middle of nowhere, pretty harsh winters, but that led to some pretty awesome snowboarding yeah. and skiing and uh, ice fishing and and sledding and things like that. So pretty great for extracurricular activities and kind of just being outside all the time.
0: Yeah. So the only people that complain about the snow back there is the people who actually don't like those outdoor activities.
1: Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it's a great, it, it's a great excuse to have a few toys, um, sleds and, uh, and snowboards and uh, and anything that keeps you busy because you you do have to keep the body moving when you're outside and it's funny I actually came across a post on uh, Facebook the other day and uh, it was a letter from the school back in the 70s uh, addressing to all the parents in the town what uh what the cutoff would be for when school is canceled during the winter temperatures. Mm-hmm. And I believe it was something like minus 75 degrees Celsius with the wind chill. Oh and, my gosh. And that, that kind of gives you a sense <laughs> of how um how pretty nutty it was. Um but it, it's all about acclimatizing, right? You know, you grow up there for 15 years and your blood and your body sort of just acclimatized to this type of climate. And uh I, I have to say being away from there For almost 20 years now, you really do lose it in a few years. And uh, (laughs) every time I go back now and and visit my sister and my family, it's it's a different story.
0: You're freezing. You're sitting in the living room in your full coat.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. And uh, (laughs) everyone has automatic starters on their car, um, and it's just it's just a part of the lifestyle. But then on the flip side, the summers are actually pretty great and pretty Mm -hmm. temperate and uh, um, awesome for skateboarding and just sort of again just being outside.
0: Very cool. All right. East Coaster. So you touched on it a little bit, um, you know, with your childhood and growing up there. I want to just dive into that for a minute and kick this yeah. back. What was your childhood like? Do you feel that you know, there was creativity in your childhood that pointed you in this sort of creative career direction?
1: I was thinking about this the other day, actually a few years ago as well, about sort of when it dawned on me that I would like design. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't really know what it was. Even in high school, I really didn't have. um, I didn't make the connection that you could actually do this for a living until my art teacher told me. But um, um, when Nintendo first came out, in I guess it was the mid '80s, and um, and there was a really cool magazine that sort of accompanied that, and it was called Nintendo Power and um and about maybe a year or two after that one um that vertical of magazines became quite popular and there was another one called GamePro magazine yeah. but i specifically remember that moment in time and i'm a bit of a magazine hoarder that's when it clicked in that i was completely enthralled by design and mm-hmm. by caricature and by visuals in general and i would just adore these magazines and I would be super upset if anyone dog-eared them even at a young age and, and kind of just like really protective of them and, uh, and I think that's the moment where it really dawned on me that um, there was a visual connection to what you look at um, whether it be magazines um, whether it be catalogs um, obviously print was probably the main avenue of mm-hmm. communication back then so um, it kind of really created um, uh, a lot of fire in me And then um, it never really clicked in that I could do that for a living until my art teacher told me, I believe, grade 11. And um, it was a very small class and maybe only six or seven of us in the class. And I was never the most phenomenal drawer or the most realist painter. Um, But my art teacher, Mr. Owen, um, and, you know, there's certain points in your life where you ping pong and you really understand um, when someone gives you advice, it really changes your life. Mm And, and one of those first instances was probably Mr. Owens saying, you know, you should check out graphic design. Um, I think you might, might enjoy it. And and I had no idea what it was. He gave me a list of colleges and universities that taught it. Um, and I ended up picking a school in Ontario, um, St. Lawrence College yep. um, in Kingston, because uh, it was close to mountains. And I still wanted to make sure that snowboarding was kind of integrated into the next chapter of my life somehow. Um, but it's kind of funny because growing up snowboarding and skateboarding and adoring all of these brands, DC Shoes and, and Toy Machine and Zero, not really making the connection that someone has to create this stuff and you could actually make a living doing it. Yeah. And, and then it dawned on me that this could actually be a reality. And um, so I applied to um, – I, I believe I applied to several colleges. I ended up going to Kingston for St. Lawrence College. And, um, and during the first year – Um, It was very hands-on, very think-with-your-brain-first, which is what I really appreciate. But um, for some reason, it just wasn't clicking for me in the first year. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: I actually ended up thinking if it was actually for me. It, it. um, it, I totally questioned it, and and I just wasn't sure what the path looked like forward. So always being sort of, um, I guess, a bit of a cartoon drawer as well in my youth, I ended up um, wanting to shift, and I applied to this animation school in Ottawa, which was just a few hours away, and it was a fairly small class, maybe like 30 seats, um, and I was 15th on the waiting list. Didn't end up getting in, and I'm really happy I didn't, because I went back to St. Lawrence College, finished the program, and in third year, completely fell in love with what this could be and how it could go. Yeah. And, and I'm so happy that that happened, and that I didn't deviate, and that I kind of stuck with it, because... Uh, I, uh, and kind of just went from there
0: that's very cool so you had mentioned during there that nintendo power and GameStop, like those kind of magazines <laughs> were were sort of the early influences when you started feeling and seeing design is there something else or is it one of those that stands out to you as maybe the most influential design of your life so far something that you saw and has just stuck with you since it's
1: really weird. In Game Pro Magazine, the authors of all of the articles used to have these little caricature illustrations,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and those those just melted into my brain, and I can still see them to this day, and, and for some reason, I was just completely um, enamored by how you could do that, how you could recreate someone in cartoon form and just make it so cool and so interesting, and that really stuck in my brain, and I still think about that, and why... Why something so insignificant would have such an effect um it was just something really cool at the time Mm
0: -hmm. so definitely stuck with you Mm -hmm.
1: and i think that's kind of why i ended up sort of um you know like i I was a fairly introverted kid and i would just sort of spend a lot of my time home um recreating comic books and and redrawing spider-man a hundred times and and Thor and all of the characters and I was 100% happy and, and content doing that. Um, and That part of my artistic sort of I guess expression didn't go much further than that because um, um, It didn't turn into an animating career um, Which like I said, I was really quite happy about because I think I found something that um, That I never really looked back on after finishing design I, I knew that this was what I wanted to do for the rest of my life.
0: hmm Yeah, that's awesome to make that connection there then Yeah. So Jamie, who are some of the designers and brands that you look up to and closely follow now? And what is it about them that you like?
1: I always really connected, um, I guess, in my teenage years, I really connected with Burton Snowboards. And it was because they had such an emphasis on creativity. Back then, um, there was this amazing... um, I guess, drive for a lot of snowboard companies and, and even skateboard companies at the time. But you know, the, 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 massive magazine would come out in August to kick off the year and every snowboard company would launch their new website and they would have a new logo and a new look and a new skin and everything would be new. And it wasn't like today where I think things are a bit more consistent and not recycled every year or sort of not reinvented every year. Mm-hmm. It was completely no holds barred creativity back then. And, when that magazine came out and when that Burton website launched every September, it was like Christmas for us, especially in a small town. And, and we would just pour over these things and study every detail. But Burton is to me like a true expression of integrating um, sport and spirit and culture into um, a brand, into a sideways brand. And, and I think they really help shape the sport and shape a lot of culture outside of the sport um I, there was one point where i took one of the catalogs and li- literally wallpapered my entire bedroom with the catalog just because awesome. i was so pumped on all the board designs all the page designs all the icons that they would use for everything and all the photography and how kick-ass it was and just how expressive it was and it, and maybe there was a bit of counterculture to it at that time too but it just it just felt so cool and burton um, I think was one of the first to really celebrate that, and and they would change it every year. And like I said, now it's a bit different. You know, um, most brands will stick to the same corporate logo and sort of um, maybe recreate um, sub brands underneath that. But um, but I just found that so invigorating and so fun and so creative, and um, to this day it still inspires me. I have I have almost every Burton catalog on one of my shelves, and still spend time flipping through them because they remind me of. Always kind of like challenging things, always thinking about things differently, and how you can express a brand in multiple forms mm-hmm. and still still have the same heartbeat, still have the same rhythm, still have the same uh, character and purpose, but recreate that visually. I think today um, brands can sort of um, I think pay attention to that a bit more. Um, there is certainly for um, consistency um, today, but I also think. Um, these new living identity systems and living brand systems and um, and systems that are malleable and interchangeable are, are becoming more important today because of having to remain relevant, having mm. to inspire, having to instill desire in a brand and always feel fresh.
0: Definitely. You know, it's funny that you say that about snowboarding and that sort of culture being really, um, you know, inspirational to you at a young age, because when I interview designers for the podcast here, it comes up so often that it's skate culture and snowboard culture and just the, you know, they almost like the the creativity didn't have a lid on it. You know what I mean? Like it could just be creative. It could just be something awesome just because.
1: Absolutely. And, and I don't think we, I don't think anyone at that age really wanted to um, deconstruct why those brands felt made us feel a certain way. It just, it it was just natural. Yeah. And the creativity was natural. And, you know, like when you look at DC shoes, like when that brand came out, it was so well cut and well engineered, but it still had such a great attitude to it. It still had such a great purpose to it. It it completely shaped a lot of skate culture to what it is now. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that was another brand when it came out where I was um and I think um maybe close to going to college at the time, but when it came out and when it got launched i was I was just completely enthralled with it and and thought it was just a great execution of a cool brand, you know um but never really picked apart why it was cool or what made it cool it just it just resonated, and I think a lot of that comes down to um, um the team that certain brands have, the personalities that certain brands have and how they capture that in video and film, and then pair that with a design language. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's funny because I grew up in that culture and have sort of progressed into um, a bit more of a refined approach with, um, with a lot of the, the sort of premium residential branding that we do. Um, but I always lean on what I learned in the skateboard and snowboard um, design careers mm-hmm. that I've had to – always shake things up a little and always be able to inject a bit of style and a bit of, um, unconventional, uh, I guess, design to, to, to certain, to certain styles. Um, and, and always kind of just remembering that once you know the rules, you can break them.
0: Exactly. And you know, there's, there's design that you can look at and appreciate the, the solution that it provided and the work that it did, you Know in that solution, but you also have to appreciate the design and the artwork that is there just because it looks cool 100%. Like in that skate culture and snowboard culture, like the board designs, the board artwork, like that, there was no there wasn't a strategy behind it, no, it just looked cool,
1: man. You're so right. Like, and and I still, I still, um, I will still put my um. I will still go to war every day and fight that battle um, in some boardrooms because uh, I, I believe 100% that strategy is um, is a massive um, backbone to, to what we do. But at the end of the day, if you don't execute that idea in a way that is visibly desirable or inspiring or aesthetically pleasing... Um, and again, pertaining to the demographic, to your, to your, to who you're tailoring that towards. Um, and I think you, you haven't solved the problem. Um, it, it's, it's a, it's a marriage of, of strategic thinking and then execution and aesthetics. And I totally agree with you. Like, um, no matter what industry I think you work in, there's an element of being able to have that surface level reaction and emotional connection
0: to something. And, mm-hmm.
1: And that starts visually before you really get into the bones of why it is that way.
0: Definitely. Definitely. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um, So, Jamie, the next few questions I have for you take you down part of your career where you've likely made some mistakes, learned some lessons. And I want to pull those stories out and share those with the listeners. So, what has been the most challenging time in your design career so far? Why was it challenging and how did you get through it?
1: I think two thousand and eight was um, a really big challenge for everyone, um, somewhat similar to what's happening today. Um, but you know when the financial world crashed in two thousand and eight, um, I lost my job due to sort of um, you know where everyone sat on that seniority list. Yeah. And um, when I came back from vacation that summer, um I was let go, and um and part of me looked at that as sort of um yeah, okay, no problem, next chapter um but i didn 't realize how difficult that next chapter was going to be during a financial crisis mm-hmm. um I was still in Vancouver at the time, and um sort of um, was scouring the job boards, making a great resume, making an awesome portfolio website, and not getting much traction, so it was a bit deflating. And then I reached out to a company in San Fran called Attic. And at the time, they were one of the, one of the most hyped agencies in the, in the US. And um, flew down, had a wonderful interview um, with one of the creative directors there, and um, you know got really excited again. And um, I came home, back to Vancouver after that interview. And a few days later, they offered me the job nice. and and I had mixed emotions because i didn 't want to leave vancouver i I just knew that when I came here in two thousand and three i was I had found my home even ironically, it was the furthest away from the east coast and and a lot of my family but um, but I just knew I was meant to be in b c mm-hmm. um, ironically, even on some of my yearbook like high school yearbook posts that someone sent me the other day um, one of my uh, ambitions was to live in uh, the mountains of BC. And and, oh, wow. and and I completely forgot that I even wrote that down, which is kind of crazy. But, but I always knew that this was going to be my home and, and I haven't really, um, haven't really thought about that otherwise since, but so I declined the job at Attic and, wow. um, and okay, gracefully. So
0: just, to, just a, sorry, just a pause yeah, yeah. for a second. You go from your let go you're wondering what's next you're struggling to get some traction you get this interview you fly to the interview you're stoked about the idea of getting a job there it's a great place you come back you get the job and in that amount of time your heart's saying mm, this is your home
1: it was a really difficult decision
0: um I can imagine. but uh,
1: and, I, and i had a nice call with him and, um, and, uh, and they were completely supportive and, uh, I kept in touch with them for a little while just in case, um, things changed. Um, and then ironically, uh, a few months after that, um, maybe just one month, um, I found a job locally with a, with a great agency here for, for four or five years before, before I started my own agency. And, um, and I think it was just one of those, one of those times in life where you had to trust your gut, trust your heart and um and thank god it worked out
0: <laughs> man that's, so, that's hard so hard sometimes when you're looking at your bank account looking at the bills coming up and you're just like ah what
1: yeah what should i do 100% um but it's funny like back in 2003 when i first moved here um it was a similar scenario because um i had worked a few jobs um after graduation in college and um I wasn't really finding my groove with with anyone that I was working with, any agency at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And for some reason or another, this this voice in my head kept saying, you need to go west, you need to go west. So one day in 2003, I saw this job posted with Option Snowboards, and it was in Vancouver. And I said to myself, there is no way I'm going to stop until I get this job. Mm -hmm. And again, I put together a portfolio website, a lot of it just fictional work at the time, because I think that's really how I was able to express what I was capable of at the time might not have been that great but but that's what I did um so I built a huge website and then I faxed my um resume I snail milled my resume um and I emailed my resume and never heard anything so about a month goes by and I just can't stop thinking about this job so I'm like, screw it. I'm going to pick up the phone and try and get through to um, whoever I need to talk to. So I talked to the receptionist. Um, her name was Stacy. We're still great friends to this day. She lives in Australia now with um, her husband, who was actually an, uh, the industrial designer at option at the time, building all the snowboards. But uh, And she was nice enough to actually put me straight through to John Colvin, who was the art director at the time. And he's another one of those ping pong moments where I had a chat with him. And I asked him, hey, have you seen my resume? Um, Would love to get some feedback from you. And he was like, "Um, actually, no, it doesn't. Your name doesn't. I don't recall your name. I don't recall looking at your resume. And so thank God I had my website up at the time. And I I had just said, hey, um, would you mind um, hopping onto this website, spending a few minutes on it? And he said, you know what? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm sitting here with one of our pros, um, Kevin, at the time. And I'll call you back in 10 minutes. And John called me back in 10 minutes and he offered me the job over the phone. And <laughs> awesome. I, I couldn't um, to this day, that moment still makes me want to tear up because it completely changed my life. Completely. And, um, and coming to work with options snowboards at the time, um, was a print designer slash brand designers dream, you know, working on snowboards, clothing, bindings, catalogs, um, uh trade show graphics you name it um hang tags uh point of sale pieces it was just an absolute dream for a young designer to do that so uh, and i think you know my message to anyone is to just like if you see that job that you just know is your calling um you know fight hard to get it and and show show people what you're capable of and show people um, what you want to bring to the table
0: definitely i love that you know hey would you mind just checking at the website right now yeah. <laughs> 10 minutes later you have a job that's fantastic yeah yeah
1: i, I and I, I often reach out to john on facebook and he's in he's in dubai now actually with john who uh sorry with um with george and they they actually run a really great snowboard manufacturing company in dubai now and so i often reach out and just say hey like wanted to say thanks and you know we we have a great little chat and uh it's always just nice to to reach out now and then and yeah it's cool those are the little things in life that um make it really special
0: definitely Okay, I want to get a little bit more specific with this next one, Jamie. Can you tell us about a specific design or project that you were a part of that did not go well or bring the desired result? What was that like? How did that feel? Can you take us to that story?
1: Yeah. um, Hmm. I don't know if it was the desired feel, but I, I would say one of the most challenging projects we've had um, recently, and I think a lot of designers can can um, can relate to this, is just self promotion. Oh, um, yeah. We've we've had our our new design analog website on the back burner for the better part of a year, and we finally just launched it last week, and. It has been you know, a case of the cobbler's kids have no shoes for the past year because, you know, and, and, and don't get me wrong, um, being busy with client work is also um, um, a gift. And, and we've been really happy and really lucky to be busy, but self-promotion and, and actually dedicating time to that is a real challenge. Um, so we, we finally, during the past few months, dedicated a lot of long hours and a lot of long days to getting that live. Mm. And, um, and we're super proud of it. But I think that's one of the biggest challenges for anyone is to really keep an up-to-date digital platform. Instagram is a bit easier because it can be a bit more sort of, um, you know, off the cusp and a bit more reactive and a bit more spontaneous and mm-hmm. fun. Mm -hmm. um i think we really wanted to put a lot into this agency website and really explain who we are really explain our process and and really um give a sense of um the layers that go into creating a brand and the thought that goes into it and like we talked about um just a few minutes ago the aesthetic execution that goes into that um super important but I, i think that was one of the biggest challenges absolutely um We've had, you know, again knock on wood, a pretty good track record with clients. Um, a lot of great repeat work and people that really trust with what we do. Um, there have been certain clients that have um, walked away, and and I think that's been very amicable and very um, um, very okay with us. Mm. And, uh, and uh, it's just like any relationship, right? Whether it's personal or business, um, some of them some of them mesh and some of them don't. But we've had a really good track record so far, so we're, we're
0: pumped. Good. You know, I'm so glad you brought that up though, that the, you know, the back burner project is always like this self-promotional stuff. So, you know, the, the graphic designer doing great work has, you know, no presence online. The marketing agency that does great work has no website up to market itself. Like that's such, that's such a true story in so many places.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, (laughs) I mean, we launched the brand in you know, early 2015, I believe, and we just did, you know, two really quick Squarespace websites, get it up quick, and just sort of have something online. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm just really happy now that we have something that's much deeper, much more thorough, and, you know, ideally something that becomes an archive for our work. Um, I think we're past the idea and the notion of having to reinvent a site every two or three years. I wanted to build something that was. Um, that was going to be tasteful and um, purposeful for the next 10 years, something that we can truly um, archive our work on. Um, I think Pentagram does a great job of that, Um, and Landor as well. Um, And really treating the website as uh, an archive of our work there's two different camps to that. Some people would prefer just showing three or four projects, four or five projects, and that's okay too. But I wanted to build something that was more of an archive. And if you're coming to our website for real estate, there's a whole bunch for you to chew on. If you're coming to our website for packaging or, or for lifestyle branding, there's a whole bunch to chew on. So and that's going to that's gonna grow over time. And, and something that uh, a platform that's easy for us to update um, so that it can be um, quite reactive and uh, almost treated more like a, like a news website where there's always something new to, to digest and um, wanted to make sure that um, all of our new relationships are, are vocalized and all of our new work is um, loud and proud, and just having a platform that makes that easier.
0: Definitely. No, that's a good thing, you know, not wanting to change it every couple of years. And, and the, the, you know, the, the, the struggle with that is trying to keep content fresh and generate consistent content. But mm-hmm. if you're sharing the work that you're doing for your clients, that is content. And telling a story behind that work is like the easiest way to keep the website fresh and updated and continuing to tell creative stories and design stories and design solutions. Yeah,
1: 100%. Absolutely.
0: Perfect. Okay. Jamie, I'm going to turn this bus around here for you. Um, can you tell us about a project that you've been a part of that you are the most proud of the one that just makes your heart sing?
1: Yeah, well, we're definitely very proud of all of the work that we do for our clients, but one that really stands out for me was one that we did, um, in the fall of 2018, um, almost two years ago. And again, it was a, actually a self-promotion piece and, um, more of a uh, more of a story to tell than anything, but um, we were sitting around at our favorite um, ramen place um, just down the street from the office, um, the analog team, and we were toying around some ideas on what we could create this fall for a holiday gift for our clients, um, just to say thank you, a beautiful thank you gift.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, by the time we finished up our lunch, we had a great idea, and um, one of I think one of the topics that was resonating to the top of the news list during that time was just this sense of digital overload and digital detoxing. Um, wellness retreats are becoming a massive, uh, a mm-hmm. massive industry, um, a very lucrative industry. Um, people are looking for ways to to really remove themselves um, consciously from from their phones and from their screens. Definitely. And we wanted to tell that story. Um, we were all, everyone in the office, are coffee fanatics, we had just finished branding um, a really cool little coffee shop and uh, coffee company in uh, South Surrey. And they're called Spent Grounds, two lovely ladies who are just absolute coffee aficionados. Um, they know everything. Yeah. And, um, and so we started kind of clicking together some ideas and the people we knew, and um, at the end of the day we wanted to create this really cool branded analog coffee. And we wanted to create a storybook, a really cool roll fold um storybook. I think it was sixteen panels. And tell a story about digital de- detox, a bit of a satire about this rabbit who um kind of um finds this iPhone buried almost like an artifact or like a, <laughs> you know, something something deep in the earth that that he finds and and he turns the phone on and becomes insanely addicted to it. And uh and starts ignoring his friends, doesn't go to sleep at night, and, and all of these really funny scenarios. Yeah. And, uh, and then at the end of the day, he kind of just says, screw this, and ends up burying it again and, and reconnecting with his buddies over coffee. But essentially, the whole it was a very multifaceted piece because we had to create um, the coffee bag, the design of the coffee bag. We had it manufactured at a company in Wisconsin, so that was one part of the piece. And then we also had to create the flipbook. And um, I believe we did that on a really nice mohawk paper. Hemlock printed that for us. Mm-hmm. Um, that got slipped in with the coffee bag. And then we actually ordered these really beautiful branded muslin cotton bags as well for the coffee bag and the storybook to go into. Then we had some custom name tags printed. So it was a very multifaceted print piece mm-hmm. um, that came together with a really good um, um, success story. And I think. During the holidays, when we when we gave the coffee and we gave that story to our to our clients and to our friends, it resonated quite loudly because um, it really is all about finding those times to just enjoy your coffee, enjoy your family, enjoy your dog um, and and kind of step away from the frantic pace of life today and, and just just enjoy the art of doing nothing and um uh, and i think that resonated well with everyone um, we're still making the coffee still drinking it because um we've had quite a, a lot of good feedback from it and we bring them to client meetings and it's just a nice little sort of value add and a nice sort of intro to the brand as well
0: that's cool i really yeah. love that
1: and um i think not i think but um, we did win an award um last year with applied arts for for the packaging so um, the whole team was proud of that
0: oh that's so cool man yeah so, how many of those did you produce and send out?
1: We did, I believe. I think we did 250 for the first run. Yeah. And most of those were just hand delivered to offices, yep. and um, and then we did another 250 in the spring. Um, we have a dedicated website, analoggoods.com, and um, that's essentially we we created that just as an incubator for for our team to come up with cool stuff. Um, and and if they come to us with a great idea and we think it's worth funding and producing then we're going to do that and I think it's just a great outlet for our team to explore ideas um, and um, ideas that are truly crafted and and analog was kind of birthed through that love of of craftsmanship Um, everything that we do is extremely detail oriented uh, extremely focused and extremely crafted and we wanted to be able to give our team and our staff an opportunity to um, bring products to life as well. And if it's a great idea, we'll make it happen.
0: That's such a cool idea. Having that little incubator over there to sort of yeah. vet ideas, I guess. Yeah, it's just fun.
1: And, and it's kind of become our, like our little tunnel of self promo opportunities. So, Um, and it's great because most of the time we're quite busy, but then if we have a week or two of downtime or if the team has little hours here and there of downtime, then the challenge is to think outside of the box and, um, you know, what could we create next? Mm
0: -hmm. Love it. Okay, Jamie, I'm going to wrap up here with the ask it forward question. This is where I have a question for you from my last guest and you get the opportunity to ask a question of my next guest. I'm not going to tell you who they are, but you can ask them anything. Okay, Jamie, so the question I have for you is from Keisha Greer. She is the owner of The Great Expo out of Texas. And um, she wanted to ask you, what do you think the creative community will look like in five years? And as sort of extra points on that question, um, how will the current climate with um, all the racial injustice going on and COVID happening um, and Adobe's got, you know, AI is a big focus of what they're working on. What do you think with all of those going on? What the, what's the landscape going to look like in five years?
1: That's a very loaded question. Whew. Um, I I tend to be. Um, I'm almost at a moment in my life where um, I focus on, I guess what's worked for us. And I think from an environmental standpoint, I think working in an office um with a team I think will always manifest the greatest ideas. I think um, we are certainly leaning to a culture where more people are working from home, um, particularly now. Um, but I do think that incubator style of thinking will still have a lot of um merit. Um, I think Tools are getting better, I think social platforms for design are getting better, Behance is phenomenal. Uh, Instagram has been such a powerful tool. Um, they require a lot of maintenance and um, and a lot of time. Um, I think in five years, um, speaking for myself, I don't think much is gonna change in our world with regards to how we work. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: That's a tough question. It sure is. I I didn't even give you a preview of it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and and technology, um, I was was hoping that we might be able to touch on this, but technology, I think, um, certainly has its advantages, and I think certainly can have its distractions as well.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, But I think good work reigns supreme. I think that um, it, it, it comes from everywhere. And I think Tad Carpenter touched on this about how everyone's talented. Like literally everyone is talented Mm -hmm. and it really comes down to the sweat that you put into things and working those extra long days. And I can definitely um, relate to that. Um, And it really comes down to pushing hard and working hard and putting those extra hours in. Um, But I think, i'm excited for the next five years i'm excited for the next 20 years um you know i'm hoping that i can be a designer until the day that i can't think anymore um but i think ideas are going to continue to um i think maybe have a bit more of a political benefit to them i'm hoping that um I'm hoping that design plays a bigger role in sort of the decisions we make as, um, as societies. Um, and, and I think it can be a powerful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe we underestimate sometimes how that can be used for the, the greater good and the power of good. And um, maybe with what's happening today, um, that's one small area that will maybe be able to help um, quite a
0: lot. Hundred percent, man! You handled that well for a for a curveball question. There. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Well, Jamie, what is the question you would like me to ask the next guest for you?
1: Well, I think I'm a, i am I guess maybe a bit more philosophical, but uh, my question was, what does it mean to live a good life? Oh. And I think everyone has a different definition of that. Um, and yeah, I'm just curious to sort of see different perspectives on that. Um, you know, for me, it always kind of goes back to, um, I guess how I grew up, like, um, really having access to nature and having access to free time and having mm-hmm. access to, um, supportive people and, and, and good people around you. And, um, I think everything else falls into place if you can have, if you can have love and good people around you and, mm-hmm. um. And then I think that that also builds a platform for you to be able to do great work um, and help other people. Um, So yeah, curious to get a perspective on that.
0: That's the first time that question has been asked.
1: Cool.
0: So I like it. That's a great one. Jamie, you've made it to the end of the quickie podcast, man. Thank you so much for being my guest today. I really appreciate your time.
1: It is my pleasure. It's so good to talk with you, Dave, and good luck with uh, all of your subsequent interviews. And I'm really stoked to, um, to, to tune in and continue to to listen to everybody's um, thoughts on design and life.
0: All right. All right. That is the end of today's episode. Thank you everybody so much for listening. If you are digging what you're hearing on the quickie podcast here, please head over to Apple podcasts or iTunes or Spotify, or whatever, wherever you're listening and leave the show, a rating or a review. We just had a surge of rating and reviews come in, which was weird, but awesome. And uh, you know, It feels good. I love reading them. I love checking them out. Even the one stars. Everybody learns something from the old one star. But uh, I really, really appreciate it if you left a rating or a review for the show. And it just helps more people find us, you know? Thanks again, and we'll see you soon.